Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode at amazic.com, our podcast where we talk about all things Kubernetes and all things cloud native. I am Twain Taylor, editor at amazic.com. And if you like what you hear here, I want to invite you to head over to our website, amazic.com, where we cover uh, a lot of stuff. We do articles, we do podcasts like this. We we cover events like the upcoming KubeCon, uh, and we have got job listings as well. So if you're interested in this space and you want to know more about what's really happening, uh, definitely head over to amazic.com. Uh, today, I have with me uh, someone who uh, is from a really cool startup called uh, Ground Cover. And I uh, have with me the CEO and co-founder of Ground Cover. His name is Shahar Azule. Shahar, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Hey, hey Dwayne. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. All right. So, Shahar, uh, if you could start with just telling us a bit about yourself and just your journey uh, this far. Uh, up to ground cover, your background, and just uh, what led you to the idea of ground cover. That would be a great way to get our discussion started. Yeah, sure. Um, so as you said, I'm the co-founder and CEO of ground cover. That's ground cover has been up and running for about a year and a half. Um, and we'll dive later into what we're doing. Uh, before that, um, a lot of years in um, engineering leadership in one sort or another. Um, I spent I, I spent around a decade in cybersecurity um, from different aspects of the industry, which is a hot topic in Tel Aviv, as you know. Um, and my few years, my last or seven, eight years before Grand Cover were around applied machine learning and uh, AI, um, uh, most recently at Apple. So from a perspective of Grand Cover, basically, you know, a user uh, of systems that monitor my production, managing teams that care about that and in a sense, ground cover was kind of born from experience more than, uh, you know, uh, a, fl a flims of a thought, something more, more deep than that. And that's why I'm here. All right. All right. Really cool. Wow. Great to know that you've got experience with uh, working with Apple and doing AI there as well. Um, so, yeah. So give us uh, the short uh, description of what the, the pain point that ground cover is trying to solve and what it's trying to do different. Basically, ground cover is, is reinventing uh, application performance monitoring for cloud native environments uh, okay. focused on Kubernetes. We're, we're trying to um, um, solve specific pain points around application monitoring that the market currently has. And what's interesting about it is it's very clear that application performance monitoring or APM is a value that developers, DevOps, SRE, definitely understand. I mean, there's not no education needed about you know the three pillars of uh, login metrics traces and all that people understand how to use it how to debug with it there's better and and, and you know less less good ways but they're definitely mm -hmm. uh, they definitely know what they want and yet most people don't have this value that that's kind of the gap ground cover was born from most mm -hmm. people use logs custom metrics that they've built on and they don't have out of the box application metrics for slos they don't have full traces they don't have a lot of the things that you would assume that you know over a decade past uh, the birth of uh, Datadog, New Relic, all the companies that basically revolutionized the APM domain, uh, adoption is still so low. And that, that is where we come in. The, the pay points that we um, uh, kind of pin to that is 
um, the, the, the onboarding time that it takes to onboard into the systems from the hard work the R&D has to do. And basically to onboard into an APM today, you have to put it in as part of your development cycle. Development Developers have to change their code and work for it and it takes time. And the other is cost, which is amazingly high for uh, application performance solutions and unexpected. And that's uh, that's a clear echo from the, from the market that we're filling. Mm-hmm. All right, interesting. Uh, you know, but application performance management, you know, it's been around for a while. And of course, Kubernetes came along and, you know, it's changed a bunch of things. It's made it more complex, I guess, to monitor applications because of so many moving parts, um, just more fragmented. Uh, but uh, what does, uh, you know, ground cover bring uh, or what could, like, so I'm thinking like there's New Relic and, and the others, right? The the big APM vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've been there for a while. They've had a, a head start way before. Uh, and they've, of course, been trying to adapt as well. Uh, so someone who's already using these tools like New Relic, Datadog, uh, you know, uh, what pain points do you see them missing particularly? So I think uh, if you're already using these tools, most of the things that uh, happen are um, around the efforts again that you have to make you to do to maintain these tools and and uh, the cost that you have to be in constant trade off around. So I think that's very clear. People uh, using New Relic, Datadog, and other solutions, they, the the R and D team itself is in a trade off all the time of what should I observe, what should I monitor. This is too too much of a high of a cardinality. Uh, I don't want to store that much traces. Let's let's sample deeper. And things like that and basically mm-hmm. they they always have to pre-think about what's happening with their observability stack and we're talking about cloud native in a sense of you know microservice ar- architectures multiple platforms and languages running in production velocity of changes in different teams all independent on the technologies that they use i mean the data science team chooses that and tomorrow you have a new service running in production doing that as an SRE or DevOps and keeping up with that pace and also managing the cost of all that, uh, that that's the value that we can bring to uh, uh, people already using APM. That's one part. And the other part is that most of the users of Datadog, New Relic and other solutions don't activate the APM tier. The, the APM word today is built in tier. You get in tiers, you get out of the box, you get infrastructure monitoring and logs. Uh, you might wanna uh, you know, put your custom metrics there. To get all the way to application level performance monitoring, you have to do a lot of work inside the code. And so a lot of these users, and that's an adoption problem of Datadog and other companies, uh, just don't do it with the solution. So you might be a Datadog user, but you don't have this value, either because it's too costly or because it's just too much hard work and hard maintenance to do. So ground cover can also integrate there. It doesn't have to be uh, a one-by-one replacement, a lot of the times it's just an enablement for this value. It's, it, it, will just, it was just too costly and too expensive uh, from an effort perspective for you to get. And suddenly, you know, it's available. And that's how we see it uh, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting that you talk about how, uh, you know, one of the obstacles uh, to, you know, um, using the APM services of these big vendors uh, that are already being there is that, it's harder to integrate, uh, to implement them. Could you talk a bit more about that? Uh, what particularly is difficult about uh, implementing APM in a New Relic or Datadog, for example, and uh, also about just ground cover and the approach you guys have taken uh, when it comes to implementing and uh, integrating? 
Yeah, I think that um, basically the, the 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 biggest pain point is around code instrumentation or the the work you have to do inside the development cycle to uh, implement a full application monitoring coverage, and eventually what happens is that it it requires a lot of organizational coordination, which is even harder than technology sometimes, as you know. Uh, and that the reason is that and uh, the result is that basically companies adopt these solutions over weeks and months. That's that's what happens. Uh, it's not easy to adopt an APF solution, you know, in a day. It takes coordination between the different teams. What you have to do. What's your frameworks? Sometimes it could be an agent-based solution. Sometimes it could be deep instrumentation. If it's say a Go app or whatever, and you have to figure all that up, and eventually uh, perform that across the organization. That um, takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and basically a lot of organizational friction because the problem is it, it kind of drifts the decision maker. Let's say that's the DevOps or the SRE or production engineer like, you know, compared to the company. Uh, but this is the person you as a company put in charge for your SLOs and performance in production. And uh, this person has to go through all that cycle of developers implementing that, you know, uh, that value over time to see that value on its own. Uh, and then, you know, the governance of this person of how well it actually works, it's really, it's really pro problematic. And I think that's what we see in organizations. You can't uh, control uh, a clear experience of observability across the organization. And you get like pockets of different groups inside the organization using different tools. And eventually that puts a lot of load on your, 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 your actual buyer, your SRE or your DevOps that want to use these tools uh, in a critical time. And they have a lot of different fragmented results from different teams that integrated the application performance monitoring solution in different depths. And I think that's that's a lot of what eBPF basically and ground cover does differently is that suddenly these organizational barriers kind of break and things become uniform in the way uh, you monitor. And that opens up a lot of use cases and a lot of agility inside companies around observability. And I think that's, that's a major difference. Mm -hmm. Wow. It almost sounds like a tug of war between developers and uh, the ops team or the team that wants more monitoring, you know, where the developers are tasked with setting up and sort of the code instrumentation and then, uh, you know, the, the ops team or the SRE team, they need those metrics. And so they need the developers to do a good job with the code instrumentation. Yeah, it is, it is exactly. quite a challenge. Uh, and so you teased uh, your solution, uh, which is eBPF. Uh, which is what uh, ground cover uses. Uh, so could you start with the basic explanation of what is eBPF uh, for someone who's not heard of it before? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, eBPF is, is a really interesting story because it's a technology, you know, on the rise really, really fast. And when we started about uh, two years ago, you know, contemplating by the idea of uh, using it in, in ground cover, uh, it kind of clicked for us as a, as a go-to technology that can solve all we imagined about how an APM could look, uh, but it was very unknown compared to today. And it's, I mean, it's amazing to see where the community has taken that. So EVPF in a nutshell, basically, um, is the ability to run uh, business logic or kind of, you know, an application code in a sense inside the kernel. Uh, that's uh, maybe sounds scary at first, but it's the ability to uh, kind of program the kernel in a sense uh, and, and, your ability as a user to use the efficient resources the kernel can allow you to use to do stuff that you uh, would want to do on your machine, which is not generic to all users of Linux, you know, out there in the world. Uh, and it opens up a lot of interesting use cases in network performance uh, and, you know, high throughput networking and how you do that in 
security agents and how you monitor security and in observability, which is uh, clearly on the rise, maybe kind of the, the, the last pillar of, from this tree that is, is on the rise fast. Um, so eBPF is, for us, it's the new sensor for observability. It allows you for observability to monitor code without being part of the code. And um, as, as I said before, even from an organizational perspective, that, that, that's a whole new ballgame. That's a completely different experience than what's happening from a technical perspective or an, an orboarding perspective. That's also a very, very different experience because suddenly, you know, you're running 150 microservices in production uh, in Python, Go, Node, whatever you're running, even code that is not yours, you know, third party, open source, whatever. And you, you just throw an ABPF agent on, on top of that and you can see everything that's going on without being part of the code, without redeploying the apps, without changing the runtime. Uh, without basically doing anything that is related to your development cycle. So EBPF is, is growing into to observability very strongly and we see it succeeding in a lot of different arenas, not just observability. I think it's a very promising technology uh, being adopted by AWS, by GCP as they're you know, inside of their core, basically their core networking stack. So, I mean, it's super interesting to see where this technology would lead us in the next three to five years. I personally believe that you know, APMs and observability in general is going for that as a major sensor, uh, as, as you know, the, the data aggregator of most of the data you would see teams using in observability solutions. <laughs> oh, interesting. And I find it interesting what you said about uh, just that uh, ABPF is able to monitor code without being part of it. And so, you know, seems like it's very non-intrusive and uh, generally it can be you know very lightweight uh, monitoring solution uh, but uh, yeah i was wondering if i could ask you to make it even simpler and give us kind of an example from the real world of uh, what would monitoring be like with the ebpf and versus the traditional uh, before ebpf uh, came along what was that monitoring like if you could give us a common example from daily life uh, to kind of like really get this uh, do you have an example like that at all yeah, I mean, uh, one, uh, I think, interesting example that a lot of people relate to is uh, legacy code. You know, when you come to uh, a big companies, there's always uh, that monolith that, you know, they took apart pieces over time because they're moving to microservices and they want to, you know, freshen up their architecture. But there's always a few components that, you know, does a lot of the crunching of the original logics of the company that no one wants to touch. Um, uh, it's you know, written in Java or Ruby or whatever, and no one wants to touch that uh, fragment of production. And then, you know, it makes sense, right? Because he's saying, I don't want to put R&D efforts that it just works. But when it comes to observability, suddenly that's become, that becomes a big question. Your, your team wants to move to New Relic. Um, what do you do about that service? I mean, clearly uh, from a tracing perspective and, you know, even from a root cause analysis perspective of, you know, flows through production, it, it clearly has it plays a role that can explain a lot of the things that are going on, but it's it's kind of a dark patch inside your production because you can't instrument that code, right? You're never going to do that. Uh, just to check the value of a new AI solution that uh, you, your team is interested in. So I think what, what we're seeing as a, as a clear example is that teams choose to leave blind spots, kind of manage blind spots in production. It can be that legacy code. It can be even... Even control planes like Istio, for example, you know you can't see what sidecar container is doing. You know that traffic is flowing through that, but it's not your code. You can't really touch that. So you assume it's going to be fine. And I think that's a really uh, cool example, perhaps, of how EBPF suddenly changes your perspective because 
everything is in your ownership. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't care that that's a legacy code. Yeah, you own it from an observability perspective, or that's an Istio container. You see requests going in, requests going out. You can measure the Istio latency or whatever. And I think that's uh, uh, maybe examples that we see a lot, you know, a lot of different things that uh, people chose not to cover in a sense, uh, willingly or not. Uh, and EBPF can open up suddenly, you know, dark spaces in, in production. I think that's uh, that's a major value for, for a lot of, you know, bigger companies perhaps. All right, all right. And so what does ground cover do on uh, on top of EBPF? Uh, you know, how does, uh, yeah, what's uh, ground cover's product itself, uh, you know, considering it's based on EBPF, I'm sure there's some cool stuff that you built on top of it as well. Could you talk a bit about that layer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, EBPF uh, is, is a really raw technology eventually. I mean, we're mm -hmm. totally believers in, in the community and, you know, in a couple of years, I assume, I want to assume that EBPF is going to be a commodity tool for a lot of developers in their toolbox, uh, mm -hmm. ad hoc toolbox or, or whatever, but it's currently very raw. So ground cover is, you know, um, kind of leading the, the observability space in what you can do with EBPF. So it's clearly yeah. not commodity for every developer team, but on top of that, I think that's that's the catch for us. We're trying to break the pricing model, the pricing models of, of, of you know uh, observability solutions. So a lot of the things that we 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 do is not just say EBPF is a sensor, just take all this data, which is even more data than we had, than you had before, and just you know observe it all. But we have a layer running inside our agent that does a lot of the data crunching and insight deduction through through the agent as data flows by. And it allows us, for example, to create metrics in high cardinality inside the agent on the fly without uh, necessarily storing the data or shipping it outside of the cluster. And that uh, allows us to create a very interesting uh, cloud native architecture of sampling data at really high rates without you having to configure sampling rates or all, all these different things, storing it inside your data, inside your uh, cloud, sorry, so it can, it can be private so we don't have access to this data. So it's not just EVPF for us, it's EVPF as a sensor to you know, get you into the system, cover your entire production all the time, get you that 60 second onboarding you know, as, as, as EVPF promises, and then make it scalable, make it worthwhile, make, make the insights you wanna get uh, predictable in pricing so you don't have to be concerned about you know, a Black Friday peak in your APIs that, uh, that uh, will, will jump your bill. And, and that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do uh, as a company, as a technology, to also reinvent the way that uh, data is handled in an APM. I think security, for example, the security domain has been doing it for a few years. And I think that's an interesting comparison in a sense that EDRs or solutions like that have, have evolved from you know, agents sampling a lot of events, sending them to uh, a backend that kind of uh, tries to make uh, an insight of a security incident. And over time, it was clear that as data volumes go up, you have to do something more intelligent inside where the data is, inside the agent itself. And I think we're trying to bring that to observability regardless of EBPF. I mean, clearly it works great with EBPF, but even if we would have gotten the data from somewhere else, uh, it's an important layer uh, of, of ground cover. Okay, all right. Well, did you say onboarding in 60 seconds? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I think okay. that's... Uh, that... <laughs> That's I, super I, know, fast. I know it sounds weird, but I think that's uh, that, that's a, that's the wow factor of uh, first of all EBPF, but uh, ground cover in a sense. I mean, people don't expect to get that depth of observability and that coverage in in that time, but that's what, that's what we're trying to do as a company, as a, as a kind of as a compass. We're trying to bring 
out of out of the box value without any configurations or you thinking what you have to do to to connect some integrations into the into the product completely self-contained uh yeah in a minute installation that's that's basically wow. what happens that's amazing that's super fast uh what are some of the initial the early aha moments that uh, some of your customers see uh after the 60 seconds of onboarding you know probably on the first day or the first few days uh, what are some of the responses that you've gotten from customers? Uh, could you share some of those examples? Yeah, I think that um, we we get into a lot of customers that, you know, we're trying to be modest. I mean, people uh, have been doing fine without us. I mean, everybody finds a way to uh, build their own observability stack and they get by, right? I mean, yeah. We all do that. And mm -hmm. there's a million different solutions and you find a way to get by. And I think... Uh, most of the aha moments that we feel is that suddenly teams feel like they suddenly investigate things that they that uh, that have been bugging them in a sense, but are not critical bugs that you know critical bugs are easiest to solve. Um, mm. So they have been using logs and metrics, and they have their own metrics that they that they build and so on. But suddenly you kind of light the switch, and there's so much more data, so much more metrics, so much deeper cardinality, samples of raw APIs and traces to the system, and I think that's where we we start to see them kind of, okay, I, can, I think I can now understand why we're getting these glitches in, you know, something that they have been throwing to their backlog. And that's that's a great aha moment for us to see that uh, this data, although they they could have, you know, they could have been okay. They're not, they're, they're not, it's not like we're the only solution out there, but it's suddenly a depth of data that allows them to do stuff much faster, much deeper inside uh, inside uh, their production. I think that that's the aha moment for us to see that uh, this data has been super valuable, although some teams just don't have it. And I think that that's the cool part about what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds really cool. And I think you know, if a product can actually uh, solve your problem that you came to solve, but also show you a bunch of other stuff that's been nagging you for a while and you didn't even think you could fix. I think, you know, that's saying something, uh, you know, so it's so quite impressive uh, that itself. And I just want to ask about just, yeah, how, how does this work as it scales? You know, uh, since you're saying there's a lot of cardinality, there's a lot of granularity in the monitoring data, uh, as the system scale, there's probably a lot of monitoring data sitting somewhere. Uh, where does this sit? Uh, when it scales, uh, does it scale and, you know, is performance impacted at all? Uh, how does that work in terms of just under the hood? So, uh, first of all, that's kind of our mission. We're trying, everything we do is built around a scale. We have a few kind of, uh, you know, lead points on that or benefits that we can have. One is that eBPF is super efficient. So, we, a lot of the work is done inside eBPF. So, from a memory, CPU, you know, usage perspective, we're always trying to improve, but uh, it's definitely a very interesting um, uh, way to reduce resources to get the same, uh, maybe a much better availability coverage in a sense that you can see huge volume, volumes of data, crunch them and, and still do it in a reasonable resource. It's also measurable, which I think that's uh, a really cool thing about you know it being able to scale. You can measure the, what, what the agent is taking. It's you know, from a Kubernetes perspective, it's an entity that you can measure uh, as opposed to standard IPMs when they run part of your applications. You can't really, beside A-B testing, you can know how much is that CPU spike because of the you know, observability code patch that is running currently in, inside my application or is it my application to blame? 
So that's one part. And we're definitely working on the, being, the agent being super efficient. Uh, and, and the other part is the data aggregation itself. Basically, matrix are created inside the agent. So we're, we're saving on tons of networking and trafficking of data, which uh, reduces a lot of CPU and basically uh, serialization of data that uh, also saves uh, a lot of performance issues. And everything is stored inside the cloud. So we, we choose when to, when to actually sample raw data, like traces, based on events that the agent determines that are relevant. So we will get tons of matrix and, and things, you know, in really hard granularity about what's going on inside the system. But we will sample deep uh, raw events uh, when 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 it's necessary. So the experience is you have all the richness of the data, but you don't have to decide on half a half a percent of production is being sampled. But you actually sample the half a percent that you care about. Uh, so we kind of create a collage of all the information in production. Regarding uh, scalability, we use the best technologies that are available to store it in your cloud. So we use data sets, data storages in your cloud that store the metrics, logs, and traces. So we don't even even have access to that. Uh, that allows you, uh, together with our help, of course, uh, control the manageability of that in a sense that uh, it's, it's now cloud native. You know, you can scale uh, the, that database to do whatever you need. And once you think you, if you think you need more kernelality, you, you can just get it. And it's not directly determined by price or by, uh, you know, kind of pricing plan that you're currently on, but mostly on your decision of whether to um, allocate, say, storage for that. And I think that's uh, that's that's kind of the equation we're trying to build, we're trying to say we know how to create all the cardinality that you need, and we have all the all the smart mechanisms to you know reduce 99% of the noise before it even gets to you. But then you know we have customers that want to save our uh, really high cardinality for a month, and some that wants to save it for three days, and that's that's up to you. It's in your cloud, and you can uh, decide you know how much faster you want your queries to work on that, and how much uh, you know data retention you want, and we see customers playing with that all the time. All right, all right, interesting. And so, when it comes to pricing, right? You already uh, mentioned how uh, you know that pricing is one of the issues with the traditional APM vendors, and you also also mentioned that uh, ground cover is uh, figured out and is constantly improving ways to uh, reduce the the amount of data needed and find uh, better ways to store and analyze all of that stuff. So. I was wanting for you to give us an idea of just the kind of uh, you know pricing uh, improvements that your customers have seen when they come from a traditional APM vendor, uh, you know, to ground cover. Uh, give us a ballpark percentage of the kind of cost reduction that they see in in uh, in their uh, yeah with ground cover. Yeah, so ground cover is basically the entire pricing model is built on a, a very predictive pricing model, price per node, uh, which is Again, very Kubernetes native compared to kind of the pure host, uh, a bit more vague pricing, but it's still a very a very close pricing model to what you would expect from say infrastructure monitoring. Uh, you know, you have uh, you know x amount of hosts, you you pay for that every month, and if if you scale your Kubernetes clusters, uh, clearly the cost will scale. But that's something you you predict much more than uh, you know traffic picks or cardinality and things like that. So. Uh, that's that's the first thing we do. So pricing is totally predictable and kind of flat per node, and we see pricing reductions of uh, sometimes over than 10x, which is uh, not because we're uh, cheaper in a sense that we you know reduce our margin, but just because I think we're doing things a bit differently, a bit smarter in 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 some some areas, or even more opinionated in a sense. I, I think we can say that that we're if 
some of the things we do, some of the data we sample, some of the reduction that we do is opinionated. We try, we try to think what would interest you when you're, uh, when you're trying to look for production and troubleshooting. So it allows us to create that, uh, that gap uh, you know, with technology and with kind of a product or orientation. But we see companies, you know, small to medium companies pay over a million dollars a year per data dog. Um, so we're definitely uh, getting into 10x improvements in, in these areas and cutting costs dramatically. Also allowing them to, to enjoy all that in one tier. I think that's, that's maybe something right regarding the pricing model that we should mention. You're used to paying even the prices in tiers. You pay for your logs differently and your metrics differently and, and your infrastructure monitoring differently and so on. And when we say a, a flat price per node, that's all these domains, all these verticals, including this, in this price. Uh, and I think that's super interesting for companies that are used to you know, using all these calculators and figuring out uh, what exactly should uh, they, they aim for. We're trying to simplify that. Yeah, it always starts out as a very small amount on the pricing page, and then when you calculate it, it ends up quite a sizable chunk. Like solving uh, the enigma sometimes, you know, you have a million different... Uh... Yeah, it gets really complex. Uh, and, you know, I was wanting to ask about just uh, how, uh, just some use cases of how ground cover is also used alongside uh, these other APM tools and generally monitoring tools, uh, because, yeah, you know, it, it is very fragmented today and you know that even within a company different teams want to have their own uh, choices with tools and so it is a fragmented world uh, do you see some use cases as well for ground cover being used for particular purposes and some of the traditional tools being used for other purposes where maybe ground cover may not be the best suited uh, do you see any of those use cases um, yeah, so, so I think we we want to see ourselves as kind of the Kubernetes APM that is Kubernetes native that you know brings you all your API value inside Kubernetes. But I mean, most teams in the world don't don't uh, pay a vendor like Datadog on your Relic, but they work on open source stacks like Prometheus, Grafana, and you know all the, all the different additions around that. I mean, Grafana is clearly one of the most uh, prominent tools in the world. So. A lot of a lot of the things we see ourselves integrating with is Grafana. Grafana is even integrated into the ground cover product, uh, in a sense, in a, inside our dashboarding system. And everything that we collect, for example, all the matrix that we collect are uh, a Prometheus data source. Because if we're storing them in your cloud, what we're trying to say is it's yours. You should be able to use it, whatever you like. So we have a lot of teams installing ground cover using the UI to, you know, what is an APM rather than a UI that puts matrix logs and traces together in a sense that allows you to troubleshoot. So uses the UI, but they still have their dashboards, you know, and their custom metrics and the things that they work for, which is great and they should keep. Uh, and we're trying to say, just use that also in your Grafana and enrich that suddenly with, you know, tons of new metrics uh, of, you know, application level metrics basically. Uh, but still stay in your Prometheus stack, Prometheus uh, Grafana stack, which is uh, which is that is a, mo a very common integration. Uh, I think other tools perhaps are more head to head in a sense that you either get the experience from us, and it won't it wouldn't make that uh, that sense. Even kind of uh, Kubernetes uh, infrastructure layer uh, monitoring tools, we're we're providing that inside the, inside the platform, but. You know, other than that, teams work a lot of their, on their login backends and on their, on their custom metrics backends and dashboarding. So we're definitely trying to see how we can work with that and not, not just claim that we have a magical solution that we do all, take all the work they did for them. So that's a very common integration. All right, all right. How does someone get to try out ground cover? Do you have like a free trial or something? 
Yeah, so I mean, uh, as I said, I, I didn't just say a 60 second integration and then and then ask people to you know see a demo. <laughs> it would be <laughs> it would be not nice. So uh, yeah, we completely serve served. Uh, the product is installed by one command line. You can see it literally on the top of our, of our website. Um, so you can just go into groundcover.com. You can see the command. There's a docs clearly that explain every, everything that that uh, we're doing. Uh, take the command, run it. It will install it on, on your cluster in 60 seconds. And you just go into the into you know app.groundcover.com and start seeing data flowing in without doing anything. Um, it's a free tier. It's a very generous free tier because we again believe differently in how to price for data. So we're not limiting by time um, and also not by uh, you know features. So you can install it on, a, on any Kubernetes cluster at any size uh, and and try it out. Uh, actually see the value and I think that's the best way to figure out if you know EVPF is for you if one cover is for you I think uh, people need, need to feel the feel it in their own hands so. mm, yeah that's wonderful uh, yeah last question I have is is there anything new that needs to be learned to use ground cover to its full potential like does someone need to know about EVPF or other particular uh, command line uh, scripts or commands that you know that uh, need to be learned uh, for using ground cover or is it like you set it and you're good to go basically you set it and you're good to go um, I mean talking about eBPF is super cool and I'm always uh, willing to to do that but you know we I, we we don't even want you to know that that's eBPF in a sense running running underneath you shouldn't you shouldn't care you know, what's going on definitely anything to, to do with EVPF. And I think we're also trying to help users that are not that uh, proficient with Kubernetes, uh, in a sense of saying, we're gonna help a lot with that. So even teams that are you know not that proficient with their Kubernetes uh, deployments, um, I think GroundCover can help there as well. So you don't have to be a Kubernetes whiz to, to install GroundCover and start using it in your production. And I think there's a lot of teams that are somewhere in the middle. I mean, they know how to use it, they know how to deploy it, but Perhaps they're too scared to start, uh, you know, thinking around with every every little thing inside Kubernetes. So that's also important to kind of say that there's nothing very customized here. All right. Thanks so much for uh, just giving us really uh, detailed and uh, really informative responses to all of those uh, questions, Shahar. Uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, before you go, though, I have a couple of questions to get to know you a little better. Um, so here goes, uh, I asked this one to all of the guests on the show and it's one I really like to hear about. Your alternate career path, if not for your job in tech. For me, it's actually to be a cook. Uh, I've been doing it for, oh. even professionally for, for a while in my, wow. in my very long past. So yeah, that, that, that would be that. All right, so what do you cook? I mean, which, which are your trademark, your signature dish? I mean, you know, Right now, there's a CEO, um, not, not too much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cook to survive, but uh, before that, you know, a lot of different things. I mean, what what were you known for? Any particular dish that, you know, your friends know you for? Uh, mainly pasta dishes and things like that. Yeah. Ah, neat. Okay, okay. Wow. Um, so uh, the moment that you knew you were going to be a programmer or uh, in the tech space, um, I, I think I, I didn't really know. I mean, I, I, I was under the impression that I wanted to learn, to learn physics. So I kind of learned engineering together with physics. And you know, as, as it kind of evolved, I understand engineering. For me, engineering was much more interesting than physics. So it kind of happened. Um, 
if you would ask me 20 years ago, that's not that wouldn't be my answer. So I'll date, I'll date. You didn't really know. <laughs> okay, okay. Um yeah, so you guys work on some open source project as well. You've released some of your own. Uh so yeah, I want to ask about, you know, complete the sentence. Open source is what would you say it is? For me, open source is uh, both amazing and confusing. I think that okay. uh, <laughs> one is amazing because you know it's amazing. The, the most amazing project in the world, so I think, are open source. Uh, the power of what you know people can do in, in these communities is so much more powerful from an engineering perspective than any commercial company. Almost uh, confusing because I think it's still confusion in the, in the industry of you know open source as a monetization kind of path and open source as as a tool to build and and progress uh, with the community around you know values that you want to build, I think we kind of we still mix that up. So as part of the industry, I think uh, it's also a bit confusing sometimes for me. But uh, amazing, yeah, yeah. that is a hot topic. I mean, not for the huge tech <laughs> the, the tech companies, but then the the mid to small startups definitely have that dilemma. Um, so yeah, just being CEO, uh, want to ask the the best and the worst part about being CEO? Yeah, no, I think that the best and the worst part come together in the sense that uh, you either get to uh, celebrate some small victory with yourself or you know you have to you have to take all the responsibility for the failure. So that's uh that's the plus and the minus together. That's that's, okay. that's the, the perfect equilibrium in a sense. Okay, okay, yeah, interesting. Uh, your last question, Shahar. Uh, your favorite source for what's happening, uh, new and happening uh, in tech. Where do you go to get uh, your latest updates? Yeah, so I think uh, you know besides the, besides Reddit and the other kind of um, uh, standard uh, channels, I think that most of my best updates come from actually LinkedIn and Twitter, and I think that's, that's maybe okay. that's maybe on me, but. There's so much going on there so that uh, I use that most of the time to figure out what's what's happening. All right, all right. Yeah, it is a fire host there. Uh, great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, that was a really interesting conversation. I enjoyed talking to you, Shahar. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much for the time. And uh, for those of, those of you watching, if uh, this sounds interesting and you want to check out uh, Ground Cover and what it's capable of, definitely head over to their website. And, uh, you know, Shahar promises a really quick uh, onboarding. So even if it's a trial, you're going to see results in, I guess, minutes or hours. Uh, I guess minutes. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. So definitely, head <laughs> <laughs> so, so definitely head over to the website and give it a shot. Give it a try. See what it's capable of. And uh, I think you'd really uh, know very quickly if this is for you or not. Um, so with that, we come to the end of another insightful episode here at amazing.com. Uh, do join us again for another like this. Uh, with that, it's me, Twain, and Shahar signing off. Thank you.